My name is Dr. Lee Moore, and this is Podcast Taiwan, a podcast on the history, literature, society, and culture of the world's most fascinating island. The podcast is brought to you by the National Museum of Taiwan Literature, an excellent museum in Tainan, one of the most historical cities in Taiwan. Despite being the island at the center of many global news cycles, Taiwan has for too long been terra incognita. There were points in history where the island punctured into the consciousness of the globe. Taiwanese territory almost became the site of World War III during the 1950s as the two sides of the Cold War squared off against each other in a low-level shooting war that never broke out into a major war. And this episode is largely forgotten by most folks in the English-speaking world. Once again, Taiwan is on the front pages nearly every day. Because of Taiwan's economic prowess and its important geopolitical location, Taiwan is the fulcrum around which so much of today's global politics shifts. Yet the country's history culture, and literature is still largely a mystery to most people outside of Taiwan. When I first went to live in Taiwan, my friends and family usually couldn't tell the difference between Taiwan and Thailand. I think that's true of much of the population in the English-speaking world. This podcast seeks to redress that by introducing the island to the broader English-speaking public. Who am I? My name is Dr. Lee Moore. I have a PhD in Chinese literature and culture from the University of Oregon. I've lived, worked, and done research both in China and in Taiwan for a total of more than three years. I speak Mandarin. I also speak a little bit of Taiwanese. I have another podcast, the Chinese Literature Podcast, and I have also been a writer for a variety of journalistic outfits, including The Economist and the, unfortunately, uh, recently defunct China project. The first two episodes of this podcast, I will take you through the history of Taiwan. So we're going to call these first two episodes Podcast Taiwan History. Then in the following four episodes, we're going to look at four separate authors from Taiwan to try and give you, the listener, a better understanding of this fascinating place. I think that is enough in terms of introduction. Let's jump into the meat of the podcast. Today's discussion will explore the early history of Taiwan from prehistory to 18. One of the questions that lingers over this period, what relationship does Taiwan have to China? Indeed, it is an important question even today, one that has important geopolitical implications. First, we need to run through some very basic geography. Taiwan can refer to a couple of different things. First, it refers to a large island that lies off the coast of mainland Asia, about 100 miles east of the city of Chenzhou in mainland China. Second, Taiwan refers to a polity that exists today. The majority of the people who live in that polity live on the island of Taiwan, but it also includes some other islands. This polity, the state, is not officially called Taiwan. It's officially called the Republic of China, and we'll get into that, the reasons for that, in the next podcast. But people, when referring to what's officially supposed to be called the Republic of China, oftentimes call it Taiwan. Taiwan, the island, is about 245 miles long, 89 miles wide. Most people who live on Taiwan live on a strip of land that's along the island's west coast. To the east of this strip of land is a large set of quite tall mountains. 
For one of the most densely populated islands on the planet, there are many wildernesses where you can go walking through, you can go walking for days and see only a handful of other hikers. Why? Because the west side of the island is flat, it's good for agriculture, and it's pointed straight at China. When Chinese colonists arrived on the island of Taiwan, the west coast was the first place that they went. The east coast is a different beast. On the east coast, you have this massive ridge of volcanic mountains running along pretty much the eastern two-thirds of the island. It makes for dramatic landscapes where mountains just plunge straight into the sea. It's a fantastically beautiful place to take a train ride, but it doesn't make for good farmland. Taiwan has long been home to a group of people who spoke Austronesian languages. In fact, Taiwan is the, the origin of all of those languages. The language group includes Polynesian speakers of Hawaiian and Maori, but also the main languages of Madagascar, Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Tonga, many places in the Indian and Pacific Ocean. Taiwan lies about 100 miles off the coast of China, but before 1550, there was very little contact between China and Taiwan. This is a contentious point. I just want to read a statement from John Robert Shepard's book, Statecraft and Political Economy on the Taiwan Frontier. Quote, The isolation, never absolute, of aboriginal Taiwan before the 16th century and the near absence of references to Taiwan in Chinese histories remains a mystery. Taiwan lies only 100 miles off Fujian, although Fujian was not incorporated into the Chinese Empire until the Tang Dynasty. For the last thousand years, merchants from Fujianese ports have conducted an extensive maritime trade with Southeast Asia, the Ryokyos, and Japan. Yet Taiwan is rarely mentioned in early Chinese historical records, and archaeological and ethnographic data confirm that these trade routes largely bypassed Taiwan, end quote. John Robert Shepard's one of the leading authorities on Taiwan's early history, and so this statement may seem contentious to some, but that is where most scholars have landed, that Taiwan was almost entirely cut off from China before 1550. There was very little trade between the two. There were very few people going back and forth. 1550, traders from China, Japan, and Europe began making contact with Taiwan and the small bands of Austronesian speakers that lived on the island. This was a part of these colonial powers constructing global trading empires. The Portuguese gave the island the name that is still associated with it, Formosa. But the Dutch were the first of these colonial powers to really take control of most of the island. The first state to ever exist on the island of Taiwan was set up by the Dutch. It lasted from 1624 to the early 1660s. It was based near the modern city of Tainan. In fact, not all that far from where the National Museum of Taiwan Literature is today. Before colonialization, Taiwan's economy was fairly simple. Men usually focused on deer hunting, providing pelts to trade with Chinese, Japanese, and Okinawan traders. Men were also frequently involved in politics 
and warfare. Women did small-scale agricultural farming. Men almost never farmed in these Austronesian-speaking societies considered women's work. The Dutch, as they initially colonized the island, tried to encourage or coerce Taiwan's indigenous population to do more intensive agriculture. But the Dutch found that the indigenous population either could not or would not work in the field. So the Dutch were the ones who began the process of the Chinese colonization of Taiwan. The Dutch encouraged ethnically Chinese people, mostly from Fujian and from Guangdong, the provinces nearest to Taiwan. They encouraged residents of these two provinces to immigrate into Taiwan and become farmers. In 1640, according to Dutch records, there were probably about 100,000 indigenous people in Taiwan, and only 3,568 Han Chinese folks paying taxes on Taiwan to the Dutch. Now, that's not an exact reckoning of the Han Chinese population on Taiwan, because only adult males would have paid taxes, but this is probably a pretty good approximation of how many Han Chinese folks there were on the island. Why? There weren't that many Han Chinese women, and thus there were not that many Han Chinese families. Taiwan was initially a frontier society, much like America's wild, wild west. You had very few women who were willing to immigrate. So we know that in 1650, there was about one Han Chinese woman for every 10 Han Chinese men. So 3,568 taxpayers who are Han Chinese probably means that there were about four or 5,000 Han Chinese on the island in 1640. By 1650, we know that there were 10,811 Han Chinese men paying taxes in Taiwan. By 1661, right around the time the Dutch were about to get kicked off the island, there were 35,000 Han Chinese taxpayers on the island. So the Dutch were not only colonizing the island, they were bringing the Han Chinese to the island to colonize Taiwan with them. Taking advantage of Taiwan's agricultural potential, the Dutch and the Han Chinese worked together to create a new environment for Taiwan. So the Dutch, they could not convert the indigenous population into farmers, but what they did do is try their best to convert them to Christianity. This changed Taiwan's indigenous culture dramatically. The influence of Christianity was fairly wide, though there are disagreements on how deep that influence was. Many indigenous groups would become Christians, but during rebellions against the Dutch, they would abandon the trappings of Christianity and revert to the old ways. All that said, the cultural influence of the Dutch on Taiwan's indigenous people was in some ways quite deep. The Dutch gave indigenous Taiwanese folk their own writing system. In English, it's called Singkang. The first literature produced in Taiwan was written in an indigenous Taiwanese language using the Roman alphabet. It was not in Chinese. This is the first writing system to take root amongst the Taiwanese people, and it was quite influential. Even after the Dutch got kicked out of Taiwan, many of Taiwan's indigenous people used the writing system. It lasted for about a century and a half after the Dutch were forced out of Taiwan. So we have records of indigenous folks 
writing in Xinkang until sometime in the 1800s. That said, even though the Dutch were quite influential, they were kicked out. Let's talk a bit about Chinese history here. Without this bit of Chinese history, you really won't know what's going on in terms of Taiwan's history. From 1368 to 1644, the Ming Dynasty ruled China. In 1644, the Ming Dynasty collapsed, and the Qing Dynasty took over. But throughout southern China, there were many who resisted the Qing and stayed loyal to the Ming Dynasty. One of those people was named Koxinga. Koxinga remained loyal to the Ming even after 1644. He led armies to restore the Ming to power. Then, in the early 1600s, Koxinga was losing his base in China. So he fled to Taiwan and attacked the Dutch, who at that point controlled Taiwan. There's some back and forth. The forces of Koxinga took control of Taiwan, and the Dutch would never control the island again. From the early 1660s until 1683, state on Taiwan, independent of the Qing dynasty, was led by the descendants of Koxinga. Like I said, it lasted until 1683, the Qing debated whether or not to even worry about it. In the end, the Qing decided that they were too concerned about this remnant of the Ming existing on China's southwest coast, just 100 miles from China. So they decided to conquer the island. The island was conquered. The government founded by Koxinga was defeated, 1683. Then there's a debate at the Qing court. Should we keep Taiwan or should we just give it back, throw it back. The Qing eventually decided that they could not just throw Taiwan back. They had to colonize the island. But it's important to remark that in the Qing debates about what to do with Taiwan, this conclusion was never a sure thing. For the next century, Taiwan would exist on the periphery of the Qing empire. Taiwan was, as I said before, a frontier, not all that different from the American West one century later, you had many Chinese men coming to colonize the island. The society had many more men than women, and you have some of the same problems that you often have in hyper-masculine frontier towns. There was a lot of drinking, a lot of gambling, and a lot of prostitution. Finally, there was a lot of feuding. Some of the feuding was between different Chinese ethnic groups, people from different regions of China that had colonized the island. And these groups often had violent feuds. The Qing government frequently complained about how often troops had to be deployed to put down unrest in these Taiwanese feuds. But Taiwan had an additional layer of conflicts. There were oftentimes conflicts between Taiwanese indigenous groups with ethnic Chinese folks. You had Chinese men slowly colonizing the island, though mostly the island's west coast. The Qing did what the Dutch had started. They tried to turn Taiwan into an agricultural community run by Chinese farmers. They pushed Taiwan's indigenous groups either deeper into the interior, usually on land that was not good for farming, or they integrated these indigenous groups into Chinese society where they oftentimes were assimilated and just became ethnically Chinese. Taiwanese indigenous folks struggled 
to keep their culture, this was very much an uphill battle. Oftentimes, Taiwanese indigenous folks took jobs that reflected their cultural strength. So before, Taiwan's indigenous people had been hunters, oftentimes. Deer pelts were a commodity that many Taiwanese indigenous men sold on the global market, with Japan especially buying them up. But as Taiwan got tied deeper into the global market, the indigenous people hunted the deer to near extinction. How did these indigenous men respond? They became Taiwanese cowboys. Yes, really. There were Taiwanese cowboys in the 18th century. They worked as herders of cattle. It was fairly easy for indigenous Taiwanese men who had previously been hunters to adapt to being a cowboy. As I mentioned before, many of Taiwan's indigenous folk intermarried with Han Chinese settlers, creating a new society that drew both off of Taiwan's indigenous culture and elements of the culture of South China. All of this is to say, if you want to think about what Taiwan was like before the 1800s, you might want to think about what the American West was like. But by the time the American West became like Taiwan, Taiwan had already changed. During the 19th century, that is the 1800s, from the year 1800 to 1895, Taiwan went from being a frontier territory to becoming a sort of integrated part of the Qing Empire. That's not to say that Taiwan was ever just like Fujian, or just like Guangdong, or just like any other part of the Qing Empire. It was never a carbon copy of anywhere in China. It was always uniquely Taiwanese. But during this century, there was a period of acculturation that made Taiwan increasingly look like much of the rest of the Qing Empire. The triennial exams that chose the mandarins, the scholar officials who ran the Chinese state, these exams were held in Taiwan, and Taiwanese residents did occasionally ascend to the highest offices. This is the period in which the earliest shoots of Taiwanese literature burst forth from the ground. Of course, this podcast is sponsored by the National Museum of Taiwan Literature, so we'll be talking a lot about literature, even when we're talking about history. During this period, Taiwan went from being a frontier society to a society that was more settled and you had a capacity to produce. It was in the end of this period, around the 1890s, that one of the most important pivots in Taiwan's history turned the Japanese colonization of Taiwan. Let's talk a little bit about the backstory of this event. In the latter half of the 19th century, Taiwan was increasingly integrated into the rest of China, but it was also both distinct from the rest of China and always fairly peripheral to China. In 1895, when the Japanese took Taiwan over, there were only about 4 million people living on the island of Taiwan, compared to a total Chinese population of about half a billion people. So Taiwan was never, population-wise, the center of the Chinese world. Because of Taiwan's status, the Qing, after colonizing the island in 1683, were slow to integrate Taiwan into the rest of China. There were periods in which they refused to allow private Chinese citizens to travel from China to Taiwan. 
and then there were other periods in which they stepped up Han Chinese immigration to Taiwan. Until 1887, Taiwan was not a province of China. Rather, it was administered from Fujian, that's on the Chinese mainland, and that's also a sign of the lack of focus on the island by administrators in Beijing. But this lack of focus caused lots of problems. Though Taiwan was increasingly moving away from its frontier status and towards a more settled lifestyle for most of the inhabitants, there were many parts of the island, particularly in the mountainous interior of the island that I mentioned before, the east coast and the extreme south, where the Qing government control was loose and was still very frontier-like. This caused some diplomatic issues for the Qing. In December 1871, a ship from what is today called Okinawa crashed on the southeastern tip of Taiwan. Many of the passengers of the ship swam ashore, but when they got to shore, they were killed by the Paiwan, a group of indigenous Taiwanese folks, those Austronesian speakers that I was mentioning. Eventually, the Japanese government responded. In 1874, they invaded much of southern Taiwan in response to this incident. They occupied a significant portion of the island in order to avenge the dead Okinawa. This incident was a prelude to Japan's colonization of the entire island. In 1894, the Sino-Japanese War broke out. The fighting largely occurred in Korea and in Manchuria, as the two imperial powers, the Qing and the Japanese Empire, one falling, one ascendant, fought over who would control this other colonial space, that is, Korea and Manchuria. On April 17, 1895, the Qing state admitted defeat and signed the Treaty of Shimonoseki. In this treaty, the Qing ceded Taiwan to Japan. Taiwan was given away by the Qing as the result of a war that was lost on shores almost a thousand miles away. Initially, many in Taiwan resisted this, but there was little that they could do. There was a large amount of death amongst the Taiwanese as they fought the Japanese invaders. On the Japanese side, there was also a significant amount of death amongst Japanese soldiers. Even the close relative of the Japanese emperor, Prince Kita Shirakawa, died leading the invasion. Japan taking control of Taiwan is the most important event in Taiwan's history. Was Taiwan a part of China? Initially, no. It was as much a part of China as the Philippines, with whom much of Taiwan's indigenous population has a genetic and linguistic link to. For much of the first half of the 17th century, Taiwan was colonized by the Dutch. The Dutch brought in ethnic Chinese colonizers to the island. Briefly, there was a separate state led by a Ming loyalist, Koxinga, but in 1683, the Qing Empire took control of the island. But even then, Taiwan remained distinct within the Chinese Empire. It was on that date, April 17, 1895, that set Taiwan forever on a different path. 
Japan colonized Taiwan for 50 years, giving Taiwan a very different political history from China. Okay, I'm going to start to wrap it up here. Today's podcast will end here with a short poem by arguably the most famous Taiwanese poet of the period, Qiu Feng Jia. Born in today's Miaoli County in Taiwan, Qiu Feng Jia was a poet official. Here's the poem that he wrote on the date, April 17th, 1895, the day he heard Taiwan had been surrendered to Japan in the Treaty of Shimonoseki. Spring worries are hard to shake off. Cheer up and look to the mountains. Past events frighten the heart. Tears shed their own tears. Four million people all have the same cry. Last year's today, Taiwan was seated. So for the next podcast, we'll take a look at Taiwan's history from 1895 to the present. My name is Dr. Lee Moore. This is Podcast Taiwan History, a podcast on the history, literature, and culture of the world's most fascinating island. Until next time, I'll say thanks for listening. 多谢。